friends, and welcome to a new era of Conversations with Consequences. You may have heard us before locally on the Guadalupe Radio Network or on our podcast, which still continues, but we're thrilled now to be featured with the entire EWTN radio family across the nation and around the world. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. And I'm Andrea Pachati Bayer. And we've got a great conversation coming up with our good friend and repeat offender, as we like to call people who have come on our show <laughs> again and again. We have a recidivism. Our Does, very tolerant she, friends. We have, we have <laughs> Catherine Jean Lopez, and she's editor at, the, uh, at large of the National Review. And Catherine is one of the greatest voices in, in the pro-life movement, movement uh, in the Catholic world. And she's also connected the dots in the importance of linking um, our pro-life advocacy and adoption and foster care, and has put on some wonderful um, forums and lunches with National Review Institute. And I think that was the first time where I had my aha moment and understood that if we really want to advocate and support life, we need to see at all stages, including for kids and families that are um, kind of working through the foster care system and, and facing adoption. So we're super happy that she's going to come in. And I know that this is also a topic that's close to your heart, Gracie. It's very close to my heart. And I've been very fortunate that Catherine's invited me to participate in some of her events and forums on adoption and foster care and connecting our pro-life movement and our pro-life sentiments uh, and ideals to adoption and foster care. I'm an adoptive mom, our, my fifth child uh, we adopted from China. And she's, uh, she's a present from God like no other that we can imagine. And all adoptive parents I know feel, feel like I do. as uh, a gratuitous gift from God, these children that come into our lives and, and bless us every day with their presence. And, and it's true that as I believe, as, Catholic, as Catherine believes that as Christians, as Catholics, we need to keep uh, maintaining that connection and, and broadening that connection between uh, a real concern for the dignity of human beings and adoption and foster care for the most vulnerable among us, which are children, of course, who find themselves alone in the world. But before we have Catherine come on, uh, we had this brilliant out-of-the-box idea, which was to call in, uh, have call in some um, friends that we've met along the way in learning about foster care and adoption, and an incredible, vivacious woman who I'm just amazed uh, with in general. Her name is Kelly Rosati, and in addition to a good use of vowels, like any uh, good Italian background could have, uh, Kelly is one of the country's greatest foster care advocates. She's a, an adoptive mother of four. She's worked extensively for foster youth nationwide, and she really um, has a, a unique and engaging um, understanding of the crisis that our country is facing and the supports that families and kids in foster care or that are looking for adoptive forever homes are, are needing. So we're super glad, Kelly, that you've agreed to um, drop everything <laughs> and, and, and take a few minutes to talk to us a little bit about your experiences as a foster parent and kind of what are the challenges that you see um, that you guys have faced as a family and that you see other foster families and adoptive families facing and, and how we can help more. Well, it's super great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I love that you three and your, uh, that includes Catherine coming on later, and really taking your voices and your leadership to advocate um, just as Jesus would have us do for the least of these and really put that spotlight on kids in foster care. So some people think that kids are in foster care because they're naughty or bad or delinquent and um, it's really important that people understand that kids go into foster care really through no fault of their own. It's because they have been abused or neglected or abandoned, and it is not safe for them to be with their birth families. And so you can just imagine what a horror that is for a kid. You know, for most of us, it's somewhat unimaginable to think about the very people that God designed to give you love and care and nurture to be the ones causing such harm in your life. And so these kids have really struggled, and then they continue to struggle. And, of course, the goal of foster care is that they can get back safely with their parents, with their birth parents, that um, if, for example, their birth parents are having an addiction issue that has led to the abuse and neglect, that they can get the services they need and that that family can be preserved. 
and that is really the goal of uh, foster care. But as we know, it just often isn't the case. And so for more than um, always more than 100,000 kids in our country, they just languish. They just sit there in foster care, and they're kind of invisible to us. You don't see them in an orphanage when you drive down the road. Um, they're just in our communities, and they're in the schools, and they're in our dentist's offices, hopefully, if they're getting good care. Mm-hmm. And they don't belong anywhere. And I just ask people oftentimes to just imagine what it would be like, just try to imagine what it would be like to belong nowhere permanently and with no one. It's really a and heartbreaking concept, yeah, especially when we know children. The loneliness of that, and that is what is being faced by children in our very own communities and in our country. And I, I guess one of the things Catherine and I and, and all of us have talked about is just there's no reason for this. There are more than 300,000 churches in the United States, and this is a problem we could solve mm-hmm. if, if, well, if honestly all of us could, you know, collectively more effectively walk our talk as it relates to the dignity of every human person, the sanctity of life, uh, the value of family, and really Jesus' admonition to us to be people who welcome and who love. Kelly, you mentioned before some of the trauma that kids that are in foster care have gone through um, and and the supports that they need. What have been some of the greatest supports that you have received, if you're willing to, to kind of share a little bit about that? And what are the things that you still think need to be more available for foster children and the families that are helping foster them? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the first thing I would say, and the most important answer to that question is is the following. People need to be willing to accept the reality and the truth and the science that when a child is abused and neglected and deprived um, as a young person, it changes their brain. Mm. And they are going... They, they have been traumatized and harmed in a way that is often going to manifest uh, in acting out. And so the example I like to give is you have two kids, one from a typically, uh, a typically developing child from a healthy family and one who's experienced abuse, neglect, and abandonment and now in foster care. And let's say they're both in junior high and they are both stealing food. Let's just go with that as an example. One of the kids is having an issue that needs to be dealt with in a way that, you know, parents typically think about these things. Mm -hmm. You have a kid who's, uh, you know, making bad choices and needs to be, you know, um, needs to be disciplined in a loving way, but understands they're really, you know, acting out in in a way that takes correction. Well, the other kid who's been in foster care is stealing food because he's in... Mm -hmm lives in terror that he's never going to get enough food because yeah. he's been starved his whole life. You can't treat those situations the same. And so for many foster and adoptive parents who are trying to parent kids who have come from this trauma, the kids are acting out, and people who don't know and who don't care to get educated just often think, well, you just need to be stricter and you just need to get that kid in line. And that's the most harmful attitude And the most harmful thing, really, that can happen to foster adoptive parents and to that child is to have people around and in their lives who are judgmental and who come without an attitude of compassion and clarity around what they've been through and what it takes to heal. God is so amazing in that when we are injured in relationship, as these kids have been, Healing can also come through relationship, and that's what they need, and that's who they need us to be for them. And so for me, as a foster parent for a time and then an adoptive parent for 20 years of kids, four kids that were adopted from foster care, the most important thing I needed from people who loved us was um, compassion and a willingness to help us help our struggling kids and not judge 
and not ignore but be there with us and well I'm glad I'm really glad Kelly that that you found people like that in your life I'm assuming that you did and that I know that you're being that person for other foster parents and other foster families as they face the same struggles and thank you so much for joining us I know Andrea and I were so impressed when we heard you speak at the Charlotte Lozier Institute we were there for a reunion um, and you amazed us and you continue to amaze us with your commitment to foster children absolutely well thanks for having me Thank you so much, Kelly. And now we're going to turn to uh, our main guest and very good friend. Welcome, Catherine Jean Lopez, to Conversations with Consequences. Thank you. It's very nice of you to make time for us again. You are a repeat offender, as we said at the top of the hour. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you so much, um, too, for having Kelly on, because as you say, she really is such a bright light and uh, beacon in this this world of foster care and adoption and really um, being a conscience, I think, for for Christians and and for pro-lifers. And um, as, as Andrea was saying, um, it, uh, it it was really striking to me an, a number of years ago for for whatever reason I, I guess it's it's God's plan. Um, a number of young people started asking me questions about you know what their kids who are who like need homes right like how do we get to them mm-hmm. and and I realized even writing about pro life issues for twenty years I didn't actually know the answer and so um, well and Catherine you make a, a- big point it, there aren't just a handful of kids right now right. in the country there are over 400,000 yeah. kids in the foster care system right right and this isn't you know ju- and and sadly people sometimes leave the foster care system and they're able to reunite um, back into their homes sometimes they're adopted but oftentimes they age out right right I was at an event um, the Department of Health and Human Services did um, for adoption month in November and it's kind of heartbreaking to me that we only pay attention to adoption yeah. sort of nationally uh, once once a year. Then there's foster care month in, in uh, May. Um, but but that having been said, that there was this wonderful event which focused uh, primarily on the testimonies of of young adults who were adopted when they were 17 or 18. Wow. Um, and it really changes their life because mm-hmm. it's it's either you have no one in the world or you yeah. have someone, mm-hmm. right, and who's made a commitment to you and, and, um, and a, a, a sort of a gratuitous commitment. Like they don't have a biological bond to you, um, but they don't want you to be alone. And uh, Well, and it's interesting the idea of we have this kind of false – age of 18 mm-hmm. like you're on your own or no yeah, yeah, get out right um and just raising and kids n- no one who that. knows an 18 year old <laughs> thinks an 18 year old is an adult <laughs> well right? and anyone that's parenting 18 year olds are sometimes less mature than 12 year olds in my opinion <laughs> there you go there well you and, go. and each child the along the way each child along the way needs that accompaniment right walking with them through their own discovery of who they are and what god's plan for them are and and it's Seems like it is a very scary time just as you're about to hit that oh age of adulthood to n- look around you and not know if there's anybody that's who's going to help you. you. Right, exactly. And you I know, mean, Catherine, think about it just, just being adults, we need people in our lives, oof. right? And so the idea that we would leave these poor children um, alone in the world is just, it, it should be unthinkable to us. Catherine, when we heard Kelly speak at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, she did not gloss over the difficulties of foster Mm. care, of foster care. And that made a really big impression on me because there's a big disconnect between, you know, sort of having that dreamy thing. Oh, I'd love to foster a child sometime and the reality of it. And then I think it's when you confront the reality and the great need that is that is inseparable from that reality of difficulty then that's when you can really get into the space where you could actually consider foster care. Right, right. Um, it's important not to lie to people, right, mm-hmm. um, about what they're getting into. Um, but as Kelly was talking about, I mean, the, the possibilities for, for healing in the familial relationship um, are real. Um, that, that doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> um, and and if, if she talked longer, I mean, she, she has so many struggles 
with her um, her, her, her now teenage uh, children because they've experienced such trauma in their lives, which which just stretches her heart all the more. Her and her husband John because because they know this this terrible pain that that these children have gone through and it's so unfair and and so it just it brings them to love them more. And one thing I um. You know, in the Catholic context, um, Kelly um, and her family um, go to evangelical church, and I I find that that Catholics have a lot to learn from evangelicals mm. in this I in agree. this area, and part of it is because we, we are so institutional as a church. Mm. A lot of us just assume somebody's taking care of that problem. Yeah. Catholic know? Charities is going exactly to now. Meanwhile, Catholic Charities in many places is not doing adoption yeah. right now because of the the, the conscience um, issues with with laws, and um, and so the question we have to get better as parishes. Uh, to look around and see what are the needs in our community. Um, a lot of us have no idea what the needs in our community are. A lot of us have no idea what the needs on the, down the pew from us are. You know, mm-hmm. it's really um, that that's not the way that 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 Christ means us to be a, a family. You know, and um, and so I think we we have a lot to to learn from from that model where you you as a a church together a, a parish church you know start looking around and. And, and realizing too, not everyone is called to foster or adopt. But do you know who the families in your in your parish are? Who are? Mm-hmm. And are you helping? Are you providing? You know, date nights and food and you know, just little things that that make a tremendous difference. And that's something that that Kelly talks about sometimes too. Um, you know, she's she's got all the resources in the world in one sense when it comes to adoption because she knows what the resources are and she knows what that world is. But but she and her husband felt really alone when they were really struggling with the, you know, the trauma these kids um, um, have experienced in their lives um, because nobody else sort of understood in their church. And um, and there's also this, this terrible thing that we do where when someone's doing something kind of extraordinary, we say, oh, well, well, Kelly and John are saints. And so that sort of gets us off the hook. Because <laughs> we're not saints. Exactly. Not saints, right. So Catherine have doesn't to have to do that. anything because she's not a saint, you know. But we're, we're all, all called, called to be saints. It. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, so, yeah, we can't, we can't do that. Catherine, hey, excuse if you're me just quick. joining us, we're speaking with Catherine Jean Lopez of the National Review about the fate of foster children and the role of faith-based adoption agencies in, in this great work. You know, talking about that, Catherine, let's take a step back and talk about why there are so many children in foster care, in need of foster care in the United States. What do you think has uh, has tipped the balance well, it's in the, the last opioid, decade or so? It's the opioid crisis in, in the last couple of years has really has really um, done such yeah. damage to um, to the family. Um, and um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, which I remember, it was, I think it was last year, the State of the Union address. I, I was I was really grateful to the president because he highlighted this um, this story, which was a, a mom who um, who was just addicted and, and she couldn't she couldn't um, raise her child. And the police officer and his wife had had adopted no. um, the child. And it really was this this story where you get the sense of the. The desperation in the addiction, and and she just can't do it, yeah. and um and so somebody has to step in for this poor child, you know, and well, you want to be able to help re- rehabilitate where it's possible, but she was not in a place. Well, and it's it's interesting. Foster care, in in theory, is supposed to be a, a temporary place, right. right? When there's a crisis going on in a family system, and a child either because of abuse going on or substance abuse that the parents are struggling with, or just needing to kind of get their act together, um, the child needs to have a place of stability. Sometimes that is temporary while the parents are getting the supports that they need, and sometimes it becomes a longer period. And you hear of these very long-standing foster care and and that lead to forever homes, oftentimes in the same foster home. but you, I want to bring back to something that you touched upon, Catherine, and it's it reminds me of a beautiful high school classmate of mine. She's a foster mom in Western Michigan, and she started a group called Hope Packages, and she works with all the um, neighboring uh, companies and and friends, and they put together backpacks 
for kids that have all the essentials for when you have to be taken from your home of origin and put into a foster care setting. And, and simple things, you know, like a toothbrush and a pair of pajamas. And you hear oftentimes, because this is a moment of crisis, that leads someone to need to be taken from their home and placed in foster care. And, it, and it's, a, it's an easy thing. You know, I get these pictures of, of they all get together on a Saturday and put together backpacks uh, for kids about, of different you know, ages. Besides, that's lovely, but what about, the, for going back to causes, the, what about the breakdown of the family? I mean, if most, if, if such a huge percentage, I don't have the percentage at my, at my fingertips right now, but children are being born into families with unmarried parents, that's already a position of extreme uh, insecurity, right, for, for these children. That well, then anything can, then can push them into the next uh, terrible insecurity, which is foster care, needing foster care. What do you think, Catherine, about that? Yeah, I, I, I think this is why it's so important for us to be talking about this to be, and to be shining light not just on the families like Kelly Rosati and, and Lisa Wheeler, who you'll have on later, who have been stepping up to the plate and they can talk about, you know, the 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 transformation that that sometimes happens in, with the with the children and um, while also speaking to to the the, the hard the, the harsh realities of the the trauma that they've they've experienced but I also think it's so important um, and Gracie you talk beautifully about this to celebrate birth mothers so that that women appreciate. Um, when so, so we have some kind of cultural context for a woman who is pregnant and doesn't feel like she can do this, and maybe she can't do it. Mm-hmm. And it's not a shameful thing to say, mm-hmm. I'm not in the best position right now to raise this child, but I know there are families who will welcome this child into their lives, and we need to make that a, a more mainstream acceptable thing because there is still this there's a large stigma exactly there's there's a shame that women feel and even even that language right giving up the child for adoption i know it's terrible and it's right in some sense because it is the sacrifice but i think we have to honor the sacrifice that this woman is making and talk about her as the hero that she is Mm -hmm. she's she's allowing this child to be born and and yes making the sacrifice of of giving this gift to to another family um but but that's how that's how we talk to our adopted daughter about her birth parents both the father and the mother you know and and even her extended family we always tell them we always tell her that they were likely heroes that we have to think of them as heroes mm. who gave that that the little girl that little girl a chance at a life where she would be really cherished and cared for in a way that they couldn't do. They simply couldn't do it. Right. It's not that they didn't want to. They simply weren't able to. Catherine, I think it was one of the National Review Institute lunches that you hosted where, where I was introduced to a fine young man who was adopted. And as an adult, he was searching, as many people do, for his birth mother. And he started something that I think is just lovely and beautiful and it's a chance for people to celebrate the birth moms mm-hmm. maybe you could talk a little bit about that initi- initiative and yeah and he's a he's a knight he's a knight of columbus yeah like you're super. talking <laughs> about dennis gerber yeah he um a couple of years ago like applied to get his birth certificate um to to find out who his mother was and and um and he wound up connecting with her over facebook mm-hmm. and um and then eventually going out to phoenix i believe is where she lives um and meeting her and 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 the family around her and and he talks about adoption as like multiplying graces um, mm, because beautiful. he has his life and his beautiful family he gets to meet her her family and uh, you know a life that wouldn't have happened you know um, if um, if uh, if if she had raised him and so there's just so much gratitude he has and mm-hmm. that she has and. Um, and and he he connected with a group before he he connected with his birth mother he connected with this group based out of Dallas called Brave Love mm-hmm. and they they celebrate birth mothers and they have these parties that are basically thank you and so he th- he threw one of these in New Jersey where he's from and um and and it was basically like 
look, I can't say thank you to my birth mother, so I'm saying thank you to you because nice. because you all gave um, gave uh, gave your children life, and it's the greatest gift you can give, and and you're all heroes. And um, we need we need more of that, and we need more of that in the mainstream, and we need to know these people and their stories. And what's so heartbreaking to me uh, in the fall, um, I hosted um, at the Sheen Center in New York with the Human Life Review um, and the National Review Institute a show a screening of the the movie I Lived on Parker Avenue, mm-hmm. which is the story of um, a young man who uh, goes goes to meet his birth mother to say thank you. And um, one of the most heartbreaking things when you watch the movie, and it's available online, it's only a half hour, you can watch it um, when you, you have some, some time, and I encourage you to if you haven't seen it. When the, the heartbreaking moments are when you realize for 20-some years this woman has been in anguish mm. that he hates her mm. because she gave him up, you know, mm. as we say. But the opposite was the case. He was just so tremendously grateful that he was alive and he had his, his family, who he considers his family. And, and, um, and, and so these women shouldn't have to be in this kind of agony. We should be talking about this differently. Well, and I imagine and of course, each story is probably complicated and difficult. And there may be people who, who feel abandoned. But the answer to all of that is to have a community that wraps Right. Our arms around and birth mothers in, and, in a, and children. In a country like ours, where sadly tens of thousands of abortions are deemed the solution every year for pregnancies that are inconvenient or unwanted or a crisis or however we want to talk about them, to uh, really hold up um, in, and, and really acknowledge the dignity of a woman and a, and a man too, right? Sometimes the whole couple, the couples involved in this decision of giving a child a chance at life with a family that can receive the child properly. You've been listening to Conversations with Consequences. I'm Dr. Gracie Christie, along with my co-host, the Legal Eagle of the Catholic Association, Andrea picciotti Bear, and our dear friend, Catherine Jean Lopez. We're going to close the doors and not let her leave so we can continue our conversation with her after the break, coming up next on EWTN Radio. to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. And I'm Andrea Pachati bayer And we've been having a great conversation about the wonderful world of foster care and adoption. And I wanted just to ask Gracie to share a little bit about a wonderful presentation that she put together. I think it was for the National Review, right? For, for you, Catherine? On how we need to think about adoption when we're considering adoption and especially who, where our focus should be on. Gracie? Well, Catherine asked me, uh, maybe it was two or three years ago, to give a little talk at, it was at the CIC, wasn't it, Catherine? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, she put together a great forum on adoption uh, um, and foster care, as she, as she has done many times in different venues. And I wrote about the fact, and then I spoke about the fact, that when I was adopting, when we were adopting our little girl, it, it became clear to me because I was on all these adoption, adoption forums on, on the Internet and talking to different people um, and listening to other people's ideas about adoption. It, it very, became very clear to me that there's two ways to look at adoption and, and taking care of vulnerable children is, is the focus on the adoptive parents who are in need of a child for whatever reason, maybe usually because of infertility. Uh, you know, natural infertility, the kind that's uh, physiologic, uh, or is the issue the child and the needs of the child? And it seems to me, from as a Christ, as from a Christian perspective, that we have this, uh, we have a very important um, focus on the child, on the needs of the of the vulnerable person in this relationship, and this budding relationship. Uh, that that it's good to communicate to the world. It, adoption is not the way. Um, where adults fulfill their desires. Adoption is the way that families are provided to children who desperately need them. And when you put the focus like that on the child, then I think it also opens, um, it opens space for a real, a real valuing of foster care, too. 
it's not just adoption, which gives a child a permanent family, but also foster care, which um, is able to also fulfill that need for children, sometimes on a temporary basis, but always the focus like a laser on the needs of the child, not on the desires of adults for fulfillment or completion. Well, it it seems that this dovetails perfectly into what's behind our advocacy for pro-life, right? When we think about the pro-life movement, it's really focusing on the needs of the unborn child and bringing their, their life um, to us. Is that one of the, the kind of reminding themes that you're bringing up, Catherine, when you're bringing people to talk and to focus on foster care and adoption in the greater pro-life conversation? Sometimes um, people who don't agree with us on abortion say that we don't care about the baby after it's born. Uh, one thing that I have have realized is there's some truth to that. Obviously, it's it's that's a very broad statement. But I do think that when we hear it, rather than get defensive, we should treat it as an examination of conscience. First mm-hmm. of all, why do they think that about yeah. us? And is there something more we can be doing? How and prove them wrong. Yes, exactly. Inundate them with, with with our love for children, right? And children in difficult situations, and acknowledging too that it doesn't end with the birth. Mm-hmm. You know, our commitment to to mothers and families. And I think of I love to um, to go pray in. Um, there's there's a convent that the Sisters of Life in New York mm-hmm. have that happens to be just just across town from my office. And um, it's 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 the home that they have for pregnant women and for for their their children, and they they stay with them for um, for I think up to a year and a half sometimes. Mm. And make sure they really get on their feet and they they really can do this. And and I mean the sisters are really part of their lives, and it's so beautiful sometimes too to see years later, you know, the the teenager who loves mm. this one particular sister <laughs> because she she was the one who you know stayed up with him Held some night. Exactly, yeah. exactly. There's a real love love there, but the sisters aren't just about making sure the child doesn't die at the abortion clinic, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's part of the the story the the continual part of the story is you walk with this family mm-hmm. that that needs love and needs needs support i think that every year when the march for life happens every time we hear you know we're we're in a presidential election year every time abortion comes up instead of be, being more adamant right can we ask questions like what more can we do mm-hmm. and i i think this this adoption foster care piece of it is a huge piece of it that um, we're, we're not necessarily we're not necessarily going there all the time, and we need to. The pro-life movement is about more than defunding Planned Parenthood. You when, you introduced me once to a incredible fellow who is um, leading a group of evangelical churches, and they have an organization called Is it More Than Enough? The Christian Alliance for Orphans, and and they have an initiative. Jed Medfin is who you're talking about. They have an initiative called More Than Enough, and it's based on that that principle that Kelly brought up that we have we have enough Christian churches in America mm-hmm. that we can we can do this and and actually one of the, a, a couple of the things that have been so encouraging to me um, since we started convening conversations and, and things about adoption and foster care is, um, f- first of all, um, I had a had an event after the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast two years ago, and Walter Olson from the Cato Institute was in the front row. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, so he, he's, he's a man who's married to a man who has an adopted child. And he said to me, we need the churches in this picture. And it was really uh, such an important um, moment for me to realize we can really work together. Like we can, we can agree to disagree on some fundamentals, right? But also appreciate there are children in need, and we need more people, not less people, mm-hmm. um, involved in this. So, so if and and the the other. Thing in in New York, um, I've um, I've been able to have a, a, a number of conversations, and here in in DC too, actually, with um, with Jewish women um, talking about adoption, and um, you know you, you you want the the birth mother to be able to go to a Jewish adoption agency if that's what she wants. Um, you, 
we need to have more freedom rather than less in this. And, um, and that people can work together, even though we have different points of view, is really crucial right now, especially you know, at this moment where there's this cancel culture and, and, and all of this, um, this sense that you, you have to have the approved party line or you're not acceptable company, you know, um, we need a little less of that. And Catherine, you bring up a good point, Catherine, that uh, you bring up le- the, the need for different kinds of adoption agencies and foster care agencies to take care of different kinds of children and parents, right, that need, that need help mm-hmm. to come together. And there has been a very uh, strong uh, uh, movement against faith-based agencies because many faith-based agencies, Catholic ones especially, but also uh, Christian ones, they, they can't in good conscience place a child with a same-sex couple because it goes against, of course, their religious um, understanding of what marriage, what is best for children, which is a married mother and father. And what marriage is, especially. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned, um, we mentioned before earlier in the conversation, the legal cases. And, and just to kind of help our, our listeners know what's going on um, in the courts, this is an issue that's super active. And it's active on, on two fronts. One is that local and state governments are demanding um, compliance with anti-discrimination laws, and they're presenting it in a way that requires agencies, foster care or adoption agencies, working, partnering with these governments to agree to certify same-sex couples. And for Catholic agencies, certifying a same-sex couple as an appropriate family system is contrary to Catholic teaching on family and marriage. And so a number of agencies in, in D.C., Boston, the state of Illinois have closed down because they couldn't certif- you know, agree to this uh, anti-discrimination provisions. And a few have stood up for the, the rights not only of the faith-based groups to function consistent with their, their, the teachings of their faith or teachings of Catholicism, but also standing up for the kids. Um, and one of those cases uh, we've here at the Catholic Association we, we've been involved in, and it involves Philadelphia's Catholic Social Services. And I know, Catherine, you've been watching this case along with me as well. Um, well, you literally were in the courtroom. Weren't I was you in the courtroom. Yeah. It was really it was um, I was at the Court of Appeals, um, at the appellate argument, and I'm where was that? It Andrea. was it was in Philadelphia, which gave me an opportunity to go and have one of the biggest sandwiches. <laughs> Your real Always motivation. Eaten. It was so delicious. I really wanted to live in Philadelphia after that. But it was. Um, it's what was difficult about this is it doesn't need to be an either or in my perspective, and I think in the perspective of the lawyers um, representing Catholic social services in Philadelphia and the people that are working there on the front lines. Their whole approach has been: we can't certify these couples who have never come looking for our support. Well, that, that's the infuriating thing yeah, about they've Philadelphia. Never come. <laughs> there is no complaint. There's been no, no couple has been turned away, but if a couple ever came to us, we wouldn't turn them away. We would refer them to one of the other 28 agencies in the city working with the city who can serve them. And so where does the animus them. come from? If no one's being turned away, where is this feeling coming from that these people want to close down the faith-based agencies? It's, it's an intolerance to traditional points of view, which is amazing because only it, it wasn't very long ago where, you know, Barack Obama held these, mm-hmm. these views. This has been a really rapid shift. Um, and there really is this sort of tyrannical impulse where everyone must comply. Yeah. And um, no, why can't we just refer? This is like the Little Sisters of the Poor case. Why on earth do they even have to have a conversation about contraception? This is stupid. Um, and and it makes me angry too because sometimes when I'm down in DC, I, I stay with the Little Sisters and I see the beautiful work that they do and they don't need to be distracted by this ridiculous um, fight um, that that is unnecessary. But thanks be to God they're rising to the occasion and defending <laughs> our religious freedom. 
You're listening to Conversations with Consequences. Uh, I'm Andrea Pachati Bayer, and I'm here with my dear friend, Dr. Gracie Christie, and we're joined by our other dear friend, Catherine Jean Lopez of the National Review, and we're, we're talking about foster care, adoption, conscience rights, religious liberties, and basically allowing our whole goal in all of this is to put a spotlight on the, the crisis that, that our country and children are facing and encourage everyone to kind of be all hands on deck. This is not um, one group or one institution can take care of the problem. All of us have to start paying attention and figuring out what little we can do or what great things we can do to lend a hand. But everyone has a role. When we talk about the way that the faith-based agencies are being uh, beaten out of the public square, as they have been many places and and people are still trying to do that, and... The, it reminds me so much when I was in um, China adopting our daughter. I would I spent many days there, about three weeks, and I would carry around with me, obviously an occident an occidental person, uh, a Western person, we say, and I was carrying around this lovely Chinese baby with big fat cheeks and her pretty eyes, and people would come up to me, Chinese people, and they would point at me and they would say Christian, 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 because. In their understanding, which was very clear to them, they understood that there was an ethos behind adoption, and that ethos was Christian. The idea Mm -hmm. that there that every little every person is our brother or sister, and the more vulnerable and needy that they are, the more attention has to be paid to them, and the more welcome they have to be into our families. And so, it seems insane to me that. With that knowledge, that I think people people understand that they're trying to forget it, but they understand that it's a it's our Christian, our Judeo Christian understanding of the human person that drives adoption and foster care in many instances. Well, and Gracie, just thinking about the role of the church, um, the Catholic Church in particular, that from the very beginnings, right? We talk about um, Saint Joseph being the foster father. Of, oh, of the baby true. Jesus, right? Beautiful, and and all along the way, these wonderful examples um, of the church as institution and individual Catholics responding to the needs of the orphaned or the the vulnerable child in need. And here in our country, we have a great tradition where even before governments got involved in foster care and adoption, the Catholic Church was there. And, and Catholics, individual Catholics, were responding to the needs of kids that were without parents. Adoption is at the core of our identity as Christians. We're adopted mm-hmm. by our Heavenly yes. Father. There is no way around Amen. it, you know? Amen. And um, we, we, we try to get a way around it. But, um, but I, I do think that it's so important for everyone to um, – to pray about what their role in, in this is. And, and it may be opening your home. Um, it may be helping someone else who has opened their home. Um, but uh, everyone in a, in a Catholic parish has, has a role in this. And right sometimes now we're just, not rising to that. Sometimes it's just in our language, don't you think, Catherine, yes, in the way yes, that we yes, speak yes. about adoption and foster care? Yes, absolutely. And sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's what you share on social media. You know, stop watching the reality TV show that is impeachment or Donald Trump and <laughs> and um, realize that you actually can have an impact on the world. Well, you made that mention to um, Dennis Gerber and what he observed personally and that the overflowing of blessings and graces that come through this entire kind of gift of self through the adoption and foster care program, I guess. We're a church of, of grace. And we can really respond to this need, and and we'll all benefit, and we'll be benefiting them, the most vulnerable around us. The and idea, the fact the, of the matter is, the more we love, the more love we experience, and and the more we actually are living our Christian lives, and and this just is a key component to it. I'm glad you brought up the the idea, well, the knowledge that we have that when God. His God, God's relationship to us is through adoption, and it's the one he chose to have with us. He could have related to us in any other way, but mm-hmm. he chose adoption. And it does, it bridges that, somehow, adoption bridges that space between the divine and the human. Mm-hmm. And in our families, adoption bridges the space between biology and, and the heart. That, that's the way adoptive parents experience it, I know. 
And I think the example of your family, Gracie, I mean, when when um, families do adopt and and uh, do have that act of hospitality and, and welcome that Kelly was talking about at the beginning of the, the show, um, it makes all of us better. It mm-hmm. makes us all mm-hmm. um, start to think more about about the Christian family and, and well, creation like any differently. New, any new child into a home is makes the family in the home that much more filled with light. Mm-hmm. And whether the child comes in biologically or comes in through foster care or adoption, I'm sure our whole goal in all of this is to have bright and cheerful homes and that we can make of our domestic church kind of a beacon for others that are struggling or walking in darkness. Right. To, right. to go towards. Catherine, do you feel you've made progress in your effort to, uh, put, to shine a spotlight <laughs> on foster care and adoption? Miles to go, miles to go. I, you know, I, I am encouraged more people are paying attention and every time um, there's an event, you know, I get uh, somebody pulling me aside about the text he and his wife were, you know, sharing back and forth Beautiful. and, and <laughs> people going through the process and, and, so yeah, but you know, I I uh, we have big goals, right? <laughs> we want to mm-hmm. make a make a culture change, and and there's still a lot to do. Well, I think you're well on your way, Catherine, and mm-hmm. all, all all of us. Thank you very much for putting the spotlight where it belongs. Gosh, thanks for using this show today oh, this is, to talk this about is a this. treat for us. Well, thanks for joining us, Catherine. And I'm sure you'll come and be a repeat offender again if we ask you, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Recidivism at its best here on Conversations with Consequences. Gracie, this was a, a fantastic show. I think we're getting better and better. <laughs> or, I, or I'm praying that we're getting better and better. But I think that in general, in addition to you, our guests are carrying this. And I hope that our listeners are enjoying having having wonderful people like Kelly Rosati and Catherine Lopez come on and basically shake us out of our sleep, wake us up, tell us this is something that we need to both be educated about, be involved in, bring to our prayer, and respond. Uh, I like the way that Catherine tells us, and it's so true, that the that we say, oh, well, you know, maybe not everyone, not everyone can adopt or is called to adopt or to foster care. But she reminds us there's lots of ways to get involved. Yeah. Uh, and you can be a help to someone else. The way you speak about it can be very positive. Uh, I know one thing I hate that people say all the time is um, when they'll, somebody talks about adoption and they'll say, why can't you have any of your own? <laughs> and, you know, sometimes that's enough to turn someone off, Right. When you think of adopted children not being your own, well, of course they're your own. The, they're they're as, as your own as anything, as the ones you had biologically. Well, and that's a very, it's an interesting misconception, one that I had. Uh, when I was interviewing um, foster moms and I realized they speak about their foster kids the same way that I speak about my biological kids. And what they're doing is they're mothering Mm-hmm. And it's a good way to remember when you put the focus on the needs of that child. It's it's the same uh, exciting challenge and adventure that all parents face. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. And now, as is customary, Father Roger Landry offers us a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you the consequential conversation God wants to have with us tomorrow on the second Sunday of Lent. Every year, ten days into Lent, the Church has this journey which is to the top of an exceedingly high mountain. It does so for the same reason why God the Father conceded to Peter, James, and John the experience of accompanying Jesus to the transfiguration in the first place, to give them a foretaste of Jesus Christ's glory, to sustain them when they will see Jesus transfigured in blood, pain, and suffering on Good Friday. There's an intrinsic connection between Mount Tabor and Mount Calvary, between the glory of the transfiguration and the glorification of Christ in the throne of the cross. And that's why we ponder it at the beginning of Lent each year. We see in the transfiguration with the subject matter of the conversation between Jesus and the two great heroes of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, were. Moses and Elijah were both precursors of Lent. 
Elijah had lived a Lent of 40 days, crossing the desert to the mountain of God, Horeb, being hunted by King Ahab. Moses had spent 40 days in prayer at the top of Mount Sinai, and then 40 years with the Jews in the desert. Moses and Elijah came specifically to speak with Jesus, not about the glory that was to come, not about heaven, but about the culmination of the Lenten season, Jesus' suffering, cross, and death. St. Luke tells us they spoke about the exodus that Jesus was to accomplish in Jerusalem. This exodus meant the passage Jesus would make from slavery of death to the promised land of eternal life. Jesus, however, was speaking about this exodus while he was gloriously transfigured, not cowering in fear. God the Father wanted Peter, James, and John, and you and me, to see this scene so that it would sustain our faith when the suffering comes. The second connection between Tabor and Calvary is what God the Father says to the three apostles. God the Father speaks only three times in the whole New Testament. First time is at Jesus' baptism, when he says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. The last time is during the Last Supper, when he stated that he had glorified his Son and would glorify him again. This time at the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, however, when God the Father spoke from the cloud, he went further. After reiterating that Jesus' beloved son, he tells the three apostles, listen to him. At first, this makes little sense. What had the apostles been doing for the past two years but listening to Jesus? God the Father, however, knew that they had only been selectively listening, and they had been tone deaf to what Jesus had been saying to them about his upcoming crucifixion and death. They didn't want to hear it. Jesus would tell them on three separate occasions that he would suffer, die, and on the third day be raised. But they refused to take him seriously. They rebuked him, where they immediately began to fight for who would sit on his right and his left as he entered into what they thought was an earthly kingdom. Even after his foretold crucifixion occurred, which should have been a confirmation of his words, they really still didn't grasp what Jesus had said about being raised on the third day and were stunned when he walked through the closed doors of the upper room. They needed to see the connection between Jesus' glory and suffering. They needed to have faith that Jesus' exodus, as painful as it would be, would lead them all to the promised land. They needed truly to listen to Jesus. So do we. If we're making the connection between the two mountains, if we're seeking to listen to Jesus and enter into his exodus, then we need to follow Jesus as he ascends and as he comes down from the experience of prayer in Mount Tabor. Peter, we remember, wanted to build three booths to keep the experience going, to make it quasi-permanent, to stay put. This wasn't God's will for him, and it's not for us either. God wants us to journey to leave the mountaintop with Christ, to go back into the world and then climb Calvary with him. Are we ready this Lent to make the exertion to climb the mountain in prayer and fasting? Are we willing to come down with Jesus and bring the fruits of our prayer, to bring the love that our contact with God inspires, to share the word that we've listened to Jesus say as corporal and spiritual almsgiving to people in need? Are we ready, in short, to join Jesus' exodus and help others to do so? So we go with Jesus to Calvary, and through Calvary, go with him to the eternal Jerusalem. That's the type of consequential conversation Jesus wants to have with us on the second Sunday of Lent. And God the Father tells us, listen to him. And we hope you'll catch us next week when we talk to Dr. Greg Popchek, a EWTN radio legend with his show, More to Life. We'll be discussing the heavy topic of mental illness, and given his work as a counselor, he has much to share on this serious issue plaguing so many Americans. Catch us every Saturday at 5 p.m. on your EWTN local affiliate or on Sirius Channel 130, or check us out at thecatholicassociation.org slash 